do you want to just jump into this yeah, in let's memoriam do it. thing? Let's it's do just it. a fresh. Oh, I don't basically, know. Basically, uh, because it wasn't uh, Robert Blake was uh, anyone who, as we all know, anyone who's uh, been judged as uh, having done something unseemly or immoral or legally outside the realm, particularly in the matter of uh, sexuality and and uh, and that sort of thing, uh, automatically gets <clears throat> dropped out. I mean, if you've had any major ethical drug problems, anything like that, has been accused of anything, it always puts a taint. And we all understand how that works. But I, th- I thought it was... <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, that was a uh, uh, a lampshade that just popped up. I think it's very <laughs> significant that, um, not that Robert Blake was ignored, but that Jimmy Kimmel made a joke about it. He said, if you think he should be in the in memoriam, uh, texts and, uh, and let us know. Uh, that was a way of saying, this guy is so far beyond any consideration of being in this segment because of his uh, being an accused uh, conspirator to murder which is obviously revolting and disgusting to any decent person. But there's this whole thing about artists and their conflicted natures, and um, it's just dishonest and, and, and not, not candid, not, not, not being real to say that there are some great people, significant people throughout history who've had some serious uh, moral or ethical transgressions. And um, it just seems bizarre that they would completely... I understand why they didn't put him in the in the reel, but I don't. I thought it was significant that he made a joke about it because he was very confident that most people would consider it uh, completely um, not not even in the realm of possibility. And that asks uh, that leads to the question: What's going to happen when Woody Allen passes? Mm-hmm. Will they, you know, completely ignore him, uh, which seems inconceivable, uh, or will they just sort of slip him into the in memoriam? Um, real and you know, a few no, photos. They're not gonna that do that. That doesn't seem a, given how big he was, how significant, how he, he's still highly significant, as we all as we know. Mm. So, you know, and, and obviously, what are they going to do when Harvey passes? And what will they do when Polanski passes? I'm just kind of wondering, um, where it'll, it will all go, and what was your what were your thoughts about that? Well, the first thing is, um, I understand why they didn't do robert blake uh even though wasn't he exonerated for that or did he go did he get convicted i can't even remember at this point he did not get convicted but uh because the prosecutors could not uh, they just couldn't get him evidence wise but he was prosecuted in a civil trial by uh i think relatives of bonnie backley and he was found uh, culpable Mm. Um, so it's he's basically oj at this point uh He's O.J. Simpson, yeah. so they're never going to, um, uh, he's persona non grata. So we can't really call that cancel culture, right? That's like, uh, that's that's damage control. Because if, if they put him on there, they're going to have a whole bunch of people screeching about um, the Academy celebrating murderer, murderers. And that's exactly what would happen with, with uh, Harvey Weinstein or, or Woody Allen or, or Roman Polanski. They would be saying... To Generation Z, to the social justice people, the activists, you know, we're celebrating yeah. and, you know, we're gonna, going to remember them well. And they're not going to give them that. They don't want them to be remembered well. Uh, maybe in 20... 20- I'd really like to say just at the outset 
before we get into this that I think that's horribly uh, inappropriate and unfair to um, to lump in Woody Allen with uh, with Harvey. I think that's really like a, a perversion of any commonly accepted notion of, 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 of proportion and fairness. It's just it just seems horribly wrong to to do that. And even Polanski, who's admittedly been with something of a sexual brute in the 70s and 80s, mm. was never really, I mean, he he accepted blame in, in his particular matter in the, in the, midst, in the late 70s. And uh, it's not like he's obviously, you know, uh, not, he is guilty of, 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 uh, of being very cruel and, and unfeeling towards a young girl. But I just don't think that Polanski and, and Woody belong in the same category. But that's the very fact is I lump them in myself. So I mean I understand that's the way people see it. It just doesn't seem doesn't seem right to me. Well, do you think that when Alan passes that they'll just give him a generic mention in the in memoriam and, and then? No, not I don't make think he's special... going to even be in the in memoriam. No way. Not with the not with the people who are running the academy right now. Not a chance. I'm not sure how much longer he's going to live, but um, I don't think you, you want, you know what this, this is community, you know what this community is, you know what it's like now, right? Like this is tar. This is a movie tar where, where, you know, her behavior, her bad behavior trumps everything, right? It doesn't, her, her yeah. great work, everything that she does, her genius, her talent, her ambition, her drive, her singular obsession with her work doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. at all all that matters is her social crime and mm-hmm. that's the way they see it and that's why the reverse is also true in their awards that they give the reverse has to be true they have to be doing something good for the community for the church right they they are good puritans so they have to reflect the ideology of of the good puritans and in fact i thought when jimmy mm-hmm. jimmy kimmel made the joke about scientology and the other political joke that he made, they were very much a, you're not in our club because you are non-ideologically compliant. And so we don't want you here. We don't even want you here. Don't even watch our show. Because if you do, you're going to be insulted. And, you know, for the most of the show, he was doing pretty well, but he just couldn't help himself um, on that. And so why would Tom Cruise want to go even to that, a ceremony like that where he's going to, they're going to make fun of him and Scientology? And the same thing with the Golden Globes. They did exactly the same thing. Here's this industry that lost to Tom Cruise. Game over. He beat your ass, right? (laughs) Like, he trounced you in every way imaginable. He had the best-reviewed film of the year, the best audience-reviewed film of the year, the highest-grossing film of the year, the film people know all over the world. Nothing that they made can compare with that. So all they have is to take him down a notch and show him that they're still superior. Because he's non-compliant to them, um, I, I just think it's so bizarre. Like, I, it's it's such a weird ritual. Like watching the Oscars last night, it was so strange to just you know step into that, into that kind of strange world of, of their utopia, you know. And um, I used to be in it, right? So I wouldn't have even noticed that it was its own sort of isolated world, and if I hadn't sort of stepped out of it. And looked at it from the outside. What's that noise? Is that a screeching cat? Jeff, are you there? Um, I just um, I just got sick. I'm sorry. <clears throat> um, 
I had taken some Pepto-Bismol to kind of calm down an acidic stomach, and I, oh, I sorry, I, I just got sick. Oh, no, you gagged? I just threw up. <laughs> sorry. I'm leaving this in the podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't, uh... I don't blame you. Believe me, what I was saying made me sick too. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Are you okay, oh, or do you want to put this off for later? Oh, all right, I feel better now. I feel better. Okay. <clears throat> I just, um, I guess, what happened on my fundamental response last night was I knew that it was going to be. We all knew that it was going to be a uh, an EEAAO sweep to some extent. Uh, my my hope before it began was that, um, as, as even Eric Cohn wrote, he he figured that it was good for maybe five wins. He's a fan of the thumb, of course, but he felt that they shouldn't, you know, go too far, and that they you know spread the wealth around as they often have done. And uh, we all know the pattern. So I think that what upset me was the finality of it, knowing that I, I can't uh, imagine or project or, you know, hopefully, you know, look for some um, scenario in which some of my favorites might prevail, like Carrie Condon, for instance. And it just didn't, it didn't happen. And it was very final and very, uh, very dismaying <laughs> that, that the uh, world that I bought into as a young lad and, and and uh, an absolute movie Catholic and lover for so many decades, and uh, it's 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 gone. That that mm-hmm. that that spirit, that 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 reverence that I felt, and there's nothing <clears throat> nothing happened last night about merit or or about transportation really. Um, I was dumbfounded that they decided to uh, uh, give it to Jamie Lee. Jamie Lee Curtis um, uh, last night. I mean, not to slight her as a person or, you know, but I thought, I thought her performance as an IRS uh, lady uh, was, was broad and lampoonish. It was worthy of a kind of a comedic, you know, there wasn't any attempt to actually really do something of interest or intrigue. It was just silly. And I was astounded that that was it. But it was, of course, it was nothing to do with the performance. It was the symbol of a of a woman who, you know, finally got her moment, and she was delighted, of course, as anybody would be. It was it was a... that, but it was also the character that she played. Remember, her character in that movie. I, I think I think she's she's gay, right? Because why else would they have Jamie Lee Curtis? in the in the, the, the movie? The character is gay. I don't know. She is, must be she, because they matter? had those. Well, yeah, of course it matters. Like that was the main focus of. That that's the thing. That's why this movie resonated so so intensely with this community. It wasn't just the the um, inclusivity factor in terms of Asian actors it, and and filmmaker. It was also the LGBT aspect of it, you know. And I realized that I think that Daniel Kwan, who is adorable, and I actually loved yeah. his speech, all of them, and and. The other guy, a little bit too annoying for me, a virtue signaler type. But Daniel Kwan, I loved everything he said. He just seems like a really great guy, and I'm happy for him. I love when he said, I have, imp- mm-hmm. <laughs> I have imposter syndrome so bad right now. <laughs> like I just love that. But I think what he did was he transposed his relationship with his wife and his mother's probable disapprovement, disapproval of it 
Uh-huh. And in order to show that he wasn't talking about his mom, he made the two characters two gay women, right? And that disguises yeah, yeah. the truth, which is he's never been good enough for his mother, potentially. Um, his uh-huh. he, She maybe wanted him to marry a more traditional wife, maybe. Like, I'm just guessing. Maybe. I have no idea. I'm I'm guessing uh-huh. based on what the movie's about. Um, because that's... The, the journey of the daughter like she's not good enough for her mom her mom thinks she's too chubby doesn't like the the girlfriend the wife whatever and um and you know you can see it in a different sort of perspective in a different sort of time and place where it would be awkward for him to introduce his white wife to his very traditional grandfather right why did you marry a white woman you know um and you know it's it's the same in the jewish community i know that you know there's there's this there's this you know sort of desire to keep things within the community um yeah and so i see a lot of that worked out in the movie which i think is is great but it but it in so doing they they uh they made they made it for for, for sort of a symbol for the gen z like it became much more of a signature movie for their ideology and what they believe and what they think and how they see themselves and I think they've totally bypassed the uh, Oscars so white black community now and moved on to the LGBTQIA mm-hmm. community because it serves them better, right? They're not on the outside being an oppressor. Now they are part of the community. They identify with it. And so that movie really had a strong LGBTQIA component, as did, obviously, needless to say, The Whale, right? So... You know, there wasn't a single winner, not a single one that wasn't an LGBTQ character, except for Daniel Kwan, I guess, or uh, um, Kihi Kwan. He wasn't. He was. He was the husband. You know, I was really kind of. Um, I think we were all uh, touched by uh, Kihi Kwan's uh, uh, speech, but the. I'm sorry, but it struck me, given that if there's one been one walk that we've known about for a long time going back to the golden globe certainly uh it's him and and there was no um real suspense there's no real surprise and i just uh it felt like he was performing an emotional moment rather than feeling it it's just it's just i know that he was very happy and overjoyed and and i'm not denying or saying he doesn't have the right obviously to express that but it just seemed overly uh overly effusive i i just felt that quiet dignity would have been more interesting i just didn't believe it really i thought it was um because it it was no surprise we all knew this was going to happen and and so does he you know he and uh, I, I don't know. I just felt more like a performance than an honest uh, response. Mm, God, I, I, I actually disagree. I thought he was very mm-hmm. authentic here and at the Golden Globes. I, I, his speech at the BAFTAs, I didn't, or not the BAFTAs, but wherever it was, the Critics' Choice or something. Because mm-hmm. remember, he did lose the BAFTA, and so he might think, "Well, I get all the way here, and I lose the Oscar." Mm-hmm. You know, there was that fear that that might have happened um, after that. Okay. But his speech was so genuine. His tears were genuine. Like, this is a guy who's was chewed up and spit out by Hollywood, right? And here he is winning an Oscar yeah. in a movie that's that just swept the Oscars and made history. Like, for him, you know, it's hard to begrudge someone who, who gets to that point in their career. Uh, yeah. It's hard yeah. to begrudge them that yeah. win, you know? And even Jamie Lee Curtis for that, and Michelle Yeoh, all three of them are like... And Brendan Fraser, right? All of these people are cast-offs discards 
people whose careers had sort of flatlined, you know? Jamie uh-huh. Lee Curtis was last seen in that terrible Halloween movie, right? Um, all to win Oscars. Some Halloween movie she did. I don't know. Uh, but for them all to win Oscars, like that really is a Cinderella story, you know? It's, it's much more exciting yeah. than to see, say, Kate Blanchett win when she deserved to win. Um, uh-huh. but, but what was mystifying to me more than that was the shutouts of Tar, Banshees, Elvis, just totally zotzed. I would never have figured that, and Fableman's, uh, just goose-egged, like they didn't win anything. Yeah. And for Tar, such a critically acclaimed film, such an important and beloved film, to not win a single Oscar, that's, that to me is a, sort of a, a not a good thing to have happened and and i think it's not going to play well in history that decision i guess it's um very widespread right now that it's uh my dominant uh feeling as we speak is is that thank god it's over and uh uh we can kind of move on to the future and and kind of you know just just hit reset and just I just got so sick of the whole tendency of everything uh, was kind of, it really wasn't the movie. It was the social media aspect. The, uh, I think it was Jordan who wrote, um, yeah, here's an interesting passage that he wrote this morning. He said, what A24, the distributor of uh, EEAO, has basically been able to do is to make the post-screening experience just as interesting as the film itself. Uh, people will watch something like um, Everything Everywhere All at Once and go straight to social media, sharing memes, just exactly. tweets of the film. The actual screening experience uh, gets lost for the branding and, uh, you know, with hot dog fingers and everything else. I honestly uh, is happy and, and you know, gratified that uh, K.E. Kwan's uh, win. I really didn't feel that much from what his performance actually amounted to when I was watching it. I Me thought he got um, through it. No, and it's true. And I was talking to my daughter last night about the Oscars and I was asking her, you know, do you, do you think your, do your friends watch the Oscars? No. Do you think your friends are ever going to watch the Oscars? No. Do they have any interest no. in watching the Oscars? No. Did your friends love yeah. everything everywhere all at once? And she's like, yeah, they did. They love that. And they love Puss in Boots. Right. And um, I'm saying, mm-hmm. does this? Do you think this movie sort of, you know, excited your generation about movies? Yeah. So why wouldn't they want to watch the Oscars? And she just said, well, we just don't really care what what they think. We don't really care what people in the in the yeah. film industry think. She said, we don't need them right. to validate what we like. However, mm-hmm. this is important because right. what movies have become, what award shows have become isn't that people sit down and watch them anymore. What they do is they snip them and use them on their own social media to boost their own agendas, their identities, their status, or to serve a narrative like showing Brendan Fraser clip or showing it, you know, and it's, it's just content for the churn more than it is a a thing that people sit down and watch anymore, you know, and that's never going to change. That's never going to go back to the other way. It's it's only moving in one direction at this point, you know. They will yeah, be yeah. on streaming or YouTube or something before long, and that'll be that, mm-hmm. you know. The movies mm-hmm. that did well at this Oscars, they didn't spend any money on advertising. Zero. Um, Everything Everywhere yeah, bought no ads. Everything Everywhere bought no ads. 
and uh, the yep. whale bought no ads. A24 didn't do much advertising. They relied 100% on social media to, to drive their product and to become a thing. Like, that's kind of amazing. You know, they, they didn't rely on publicists or uh, copywriters or whatever to write their ads and sell it. They counted on people, activists, right? Because the movie sim represents something to them. And so they get all of that for free. They get all of that content pushing stuff for free. Um, however, movies that did spend money traditional way, like the Fablemans or Elvis or, um, you know, uh, I don't know if Tar did. I don't think I saw any ads for Tar. Maybe they did. Or All Quiet on the Western Front, which did pretty well. Um, they couldn't be, they couldn't fit into the churn the same way. Like Elvis didn't, Elvis should have done much better. It shouldn't have won zero Oscars. The movie made 150 million. It had huge cultural impact on, at least on TikTok that I saw, but it wasn't driven by these activists. They had no identity hook for it. There, maybe if Elvis had turned out to be gay, you know, that would have done it for them. Um, (laughs) <laughs> gay Elvis. You're you're basically assessing the whole thing in terms of identity, and that's yes, that's what all the Oscars seem to be about. But um, but I but I'm I guess I'm in, in a state of shock that because I, I was under the impression that there was as recent as recently as two three years ago uh, that there was some element of genuine admiration for uh the quality of the artistic experience the performance the 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 montage the directing chops and you're basically saying that that all that has kind of fallen by the wayside and people are not really all that interested in quality of delivery they're just interested in the identity aspects and let's celebrate this identity and that identity and that's what matters to us yeah and that's kind of well, because the in, everything is political now. You know, it became political when Barack Obama won in 2008. And everything is politics. Yeah. So everything is an agenda being pushed in one direction. And that's yeah. true of, of social media. If you go on social media and you scroll it, and you look at all these celebrities mm-hmm. and all the things they're selling and all the ways they sell themselves from Kim, Kim Kardashian on down, the key is mm-hmm. that, you know, what they call it on the right is virtue signaling. But really, it's it's about their collective sense of purpose. It's about their religion. It's about their movement. And they really do believe if yeah. you watch the Golden Globes, if you watch the Oscars, if you watch the Spirit Awards, you know, Laurie Anderson has a line in one of her songs, Strange Angels. And the line is, they say that heaven is like TV, a perfect little world that doesn't really need you. And that's what I think when I watch these mm-hmm. shows. It's a perfect little world that doesn't really need us. 75% of the people aren't necessary anymore. It's only that 25% mm-hmm. that they care about that hover over their keyboards and drive their content and do their marketing for them and watch their shows and talk about them. And everything's about engagement and trending topics. And, you know, so that's why identity flourishes because it's not, you know, it started out being about things people couldn't control. You're born black, you're born female. But then it started to be about things you kind of can control, which is that you have an entire population of Generation Z kids who aren't black, right? And so how are they going Mm -hmm. to be part of this activist movement? How are they going to be part of the way, you know, this collective sense of purpose? Well, they have to be part of it by identifying as something, you know? 
Um, and that mm-hmm. takes them out like they're queer, you know, or they're whatever it is, you mm-hmm. know, they're, they're a, I heard there's all these people who are asexual somehow, right? Like they're asexual mm-hmm. and that's how they identify. And it means everything to them. Right. And what I noticed just recently was that people like me, helicopter parents, we didn't provide mm-hmm. any sort of a uh, wall for them to rebel against. We just indulge them. It's okay, honey, you know. But what they crave, mm-hmm. like every generation craves, is to split apart from that previous generation, to push back, to be a rebel. And they've only found that with the yeah. conservatives, you know, on the conservative right, who are coming at them so hard. That actually, weirdly enough, gives them what they crave. They crave an enemy. They crave something that can be oppressive and bad so that they can push back against mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Like, Uh, Ben Shapiro or something, you know, who is whatever, anti-trans. And so that sort of feeds both the martyr complex of like, we're, we're persecuted. And and it also gives them a chance to feel like they're breaking free from something, which is what they want, um, ultimately. And I think that with the Academy Awards, I think what you saw last night, I got interviewed by NPR this morning, by the way. And what I told them was that, uh, she said around seven. It's it's literally four minutes long, so it's not like it's a long. She was really nice. It's just you. You were one of uh, several people being. No, I just was asked for the for the wrap up. You know, it was just a very mm-hmm. short interview. But she asked me what accounted for the sweep, and uh, she said, "Was it because all the precursors fell in line behind the one movie, or was it because mm-hmm. you know it it was a movie that sort of met the moment. And I said, you know, it was, it was both of those things because what you saw last night, I didn't say this to her, but I'm going to say it to you, which is you saw a religious rapture. Uh Oh, did you throw up again? No, it's okay. Did you throw up? It was again? a lamp fell down. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, you saw like a religious rapture of a movie that was exactly the right movie. At ex- starring exactly the right people, saying exactly the right message at exactly the right time, right? It was all of those things combined, and I think that that crowd just couldn't handle it. And they were in this kind of religious fervor over it, right? It was like, because it was it was a movie that said everything to them about their moment and their movement, and it, you know, it did everything they wanted it to do. It, it gave you a non-white characters it gave you lgbt characters it gave you an older asian woman in the lead it gave you a chubby daughter you know it's like all of those things are all the things that they've been fighting for and here it was in a movie and that movie was winning like there's just you know for this but but the weird thing about it the thing that's important to remember is it's enclosed within this little bubble right like it doesn't reach the whole 75 percent of the people either in this country or anywhere else. It's just so in- confined to Hollywood. It's very bizarre in that way. You know, you're talking about the whole, you know, um, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, movement as a, as a, you know, kind of a spiritual thing. It's a, it's a, it's a movement, but it's a kind of, it's a religion. It's a cult. And I, um, it's the irony for me is that, all my life, going back to when I was eight years old, is that um, I've been routinely uh, getting a kind of a spiritual high from the really good films that I've seen. And because they have, in one way or another, reflected and perhaps clarified to me personally uh, certain aspects of life, they kind of enhanced 
my understanding or my my feelings about certain parts of being alive and struggling and trying to be happy and find the find the right person to fall in love with and all the rest of it. And it's really been a, a very meaningful thing for me as an individual because I uh, I, I kind of got grew to depend upon films as a um, as a way of you know understanding and and enhancing my understanding of of of, of living. It's a very primal, uh, exciting, necessary thing. It's very much a religion. Uh, you know, I'm a film Catholic, as you are, and, and many of us are. And that whole idea of movies kind of giving us some exceptional understanding, something that kind of turns us on or gives us a feeling that there's something more to living than just the day-to-day -day banality, that's a really important thing to me. And all for decades, it's been like that. And these people don't seem to be remotely interested in that aspect of movie going. It's all about, you know, the political identity thing and, and the cultural thing. And it's uh, what about the soul issues, guys? What about the, you know, well, the deeper right. stuff? Let's, let's just, let's they don't just... seem remotely interested in that. Well, because, I'm just look, amazed. well, because it's a huge generational shift we're living through right now. It's like a fourth turning. It's like, Every 80 years, society completely reorients itself. And if you look at the young people now, the millennials and Generation Z, what did they grow up with? What did we grow up with? You know, in the 1960s and 1970s, the movies that we saw, the boomers created all mm -hmm. that culture that, that we, we grew up on that, that was defining new movies and defining new, and it was all breaking free from Christianity. And it was all about yeah. honesty and it was all about a search. It was all about, you know, human nature, and it was about antiheroes, and it was about um, the meaning of life, and it was about the suburban dad versus the lost man, and it was also oh. it was also fed into the economy of Hollywood. So, all of these movies, they were all in the number five, top five box office, all of them, the one best picture, top five or top ten. So everybody was seeing these movies. The Oscars fed into them because the Oscars reflected the economy of Hollywood, and that was important, right? Uh -uh. That's why it was a shared experience with everyone because everyone was experiencing this stuff all at the same time. But these mm -hmm. guys, these younger people, they weren't raised on those kind of movies. They were raised on superhero movies. They were raised on franchise movies where everything is very binary, good, bad, right? Good people, bad. And and that's they don't really know original. They don't know original Halloween costumes, and they don't know original movies. And they don't know, you know, they just that's not their frame of reference. Their frame of reference is this franchise stuff. So for them, what matters is the thing that they can control within that world. And that's, you know, a black person starring in this superhero movie, a woman starring in that role, you know, an LG, a lesbian yeah. kiss in a Pixar movie, you know, within that yeah. world, they're tinkering with the figurines to shape what they care about. Right. But, but the original narrative, which is hooked into real life experience is mostly absent people who've spent most of their time in virtual spaces online and with these fantasy movies, fantasy. So they don't really, they're not really rooted in the same kind of reality that we were. They see something different, right? So what we need is we need the Oscars to be hooked into the economy of Hollywood again. Because when people say Michelle Yeoh, they celebrate Michelle Yeoh being the first Asian woman to win, right? And they think that's going to mean something. To, to, to her career, but it's really not. What it does is it reflects back to the Academy and makes them look good. The people who are already at the top and in control, they're the ones that reap the benefits of this because they get to s signal to the world what they care about. Michelle Yeoh 
because she's not hooked in, because that movie isn't so much hooked into the economy of Hollywood, it doesn't mean that if you put her in a movie, you know, millions are going to flock to see her, which is the whole point of having it be hooked into the economy of Hollywood. You're, you're someone who wins an Oscar, then you can get a better role, then you, because they depend on the fact that when they put you in a movie, a whole bunch of people, more people are going to come see it. That's the whole point of it, right? But this isn't that. This is all sort of inside and insular, and it doesn't, you know, they, they sneer at the popular movies. You know, they just sneer at them. They sneer at the public. You know, stay out. Um, but, Jeff, I mean, look, our world is gone, bro. I don't know what to tell you. Like, that's never coming back. The only hope we have is if somewhere out there, a whole other community rises up and goes back to the raw storytelling and real life stuff that we love. Otherwise, this is it, man. This is it. This is the end. This is well. Where... In terms of the symbols, in terms of the what the uh, you know, the big media companies and, and the academy, obviously they're looking for a certain uh, financial remuneration from all this. Uh, but I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly that it's that it's uh, that that world that that value system, cinematic value system that you and I grew up with and, and we still embrace. Uh, I don't think it's completely been destroyed. It's just that when you talk to an average person who really likes movies, that's what they're talking about. They talk about how movies tend to reflect and replay and deliver to us the sort of concise mm-hmm. little lessons about what it really is to be alive and to be to to be in love and to 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 care deeply and to deal with tragedy and suffering. These are life, you know, people issues, not DEI issues, not well, symbols. And listen, in know? a capitalist country, what we're gonna have what we're gonna need is now that Hollywood has been captured by a religion, like it was prior to the nineteen sixties, nineteen seventy, even though the movies were much better than they were better written because mm. they had to be, because they had to make money. The movies now don't really have to make money because if they're dropped on the stream, look, $70 million for everything everywhere is considered a blockbuster in this world, um, as okay. opposed to $700 million for, for Top Gun. But people are just going to have to build outside the system. They're going to have to. They're going to have to build outside of Hollywood in a way far from the grasp of this religion. That's the only way. And, and I think it will happen mm-hmm. that way, actually, because... Sooner or later, the market will out. You know that now that they've seen Top Gun's success, and they've seen other things like the White Lotus and other things that sort of break out of the typical, um, yeah. virtuous sort of uh, religious content that we're seeing. Um, which everything everywhere to me is exactly that. I mean, it might as well be Christian rock. Like it's really just allegiance to the cause and it gives people a chance to stand up there and and you know praise god really <laughs> a different kind of god perhaps but um but i think that that market will decide if if if, if studios start making movies that people will co- want to see eventually if the oscars are still around they're going to have to address that and then the pendulum will start to swing and things will start to change a little bit here or there uh we'll see Last night there was so much celebration and a lot of genuine happiness on on Michelle Yeoh's part and and all, the whole Asian American uh, recognition the the breaking through the glass ceiling all that stuff was real I, I felt it you know what I my my biggest uh, elation from the from the whole show was the dance number from RRR that was delightful yeah. I was I was happy when that was happening yeah and I um. And the guy who, his name is escaping, but the one, the guy who created the music 
for uh, RRR, and he was talking about how he was very moved by uh, Top of the World, the Carpenter song. Oh, the Carpenter <laughs> this song. This is a real right. transcendent moment. I really thought that was great. I just thought it was nice. He actually sang a phrase or two from Top of the World. And I thought that that's, this is a nice moment, you know. And I understand all this, and I'm I'm feeling what he's feeling. I think, and uh, it was very nice, very nice. But I but but the um, otherwise uh, everybody was so full of celebration that nobody was addressing or even thinking about the fact that everything everywhere all at once is a deeply mediocre film that is it is not pleasurable to sit through. Not my way of thinking. I think a lot of people do disagree in the industry. They do that. I've never seen a movie that they love more. And I really do think it's down to that combination of it's a movie that played in theaters. So they're grateful for that. It's a movie that they know generation Z loved. So they're grateful for that. And, um, and it was socially on point and they're grateful for that. It did everything they wanted it to do. It played in a movie theater, it made money and it's woke, right? All of those things make it a winner and you've never seen such happy people uh who finally got exactly what they wanted it was like goldilocks and the three bears every time it came up it's like you know we like 12 years a slave but not enough to give it a uh, best director we like moonlight but not enough to give it best director we like parasite but not enough to nominate the actors this bowl of oatmeal mm. is just right it has everything everywhere all at once but um but not to to to, you know diminish their win it's a historic win i think that you have to respect that and give it to them for that you know i don't think it's it's as bad or as traumatic i think as as some people feel it is are the oscars always a little bit disappointing yes they are does it stink a movie when it wins the oscar it does a little bit um unfortunately but i hope that people who love this movie just continue to love it for the reasons that they love it there's not really much i can say or do about that um uh i I will just keep digging through the archives (laughs) for the movies that i like to watch it doesn't really matter to me all that much um ultimately uh I feel lucky that we got so many good movies this year. You know, Tar is a good Elvis and, you know, Top Gun Maverick. I mean, come on. Like, the Oscars didn't notice, but it was a pretty good year for movies. I um, don't know if that's true, but I uh, I don't want to debate it because I feel... Uh... I guess you'll feel pretty drained and dispirited by the whole thing. But, um, you know, I I remember how I felt uh, and the the considerable difficulty that I was feeling just trying to get through the watching of everything everywhere all at once. This was last August for me. I didn't mm-hmm. see it for quite a few months after it first debuted at uh, South by Southwest. But I, I trust my instincts. I trust my judgment. And I know when I'm watching something that's really got gotten hold of a, of a current, it's really doing something that, uh, you know, I step back a little bit and I go, wait, this is really coming together. I like this. This is, this is, you know, this is working. It knows what it's doing. I didn't get that at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I got was a lot of a fusion, a lot of experimental, uh, you know, I know that feeling, you know, the feeling when you're writing something, uh, and you and you're really going with the impressionistic, you know, the metaphors, the the, the thoughts, the, you know, the general energy of the writing. It's a lot of fun, but the, the, what happens after that is you shape it and you get rid of the uh, the fat, if you will, and you start to make it into something. 
these guys never did that. They just kind of just put it all down there and they threw in this association. I didn't feel the slightest amount of any real artistic discipline. I just felt that they went for it uh, without without turning off the spigot. Uh, I didn't like what uh, I was going through when I saw Elvis. Elvis was an irritant when I when I saw it in uh, in Cannes, and I, I've not been able to make myself watch it a second time because it was such a a bassy, you know, Baz Luhrmann <laughs> experience. Uh, I wasn't really knocked out by. Uh, I mean, I, I appreciated the effort, but I, but Austin Butler, I didn't think he was that great. He was okay. I mean, he gave it hell. But nobody that I spoke to was all that enthused about how he had done something exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was that great a year, frankly. I think there's something wrong with almost everything. Very, you know, I, I came up with a list of ten or fifteen, actually more than that, that I thought really passed muster. But they never got in the conversation. They were, they were just. Uh, well, look you know, at that, like, that yeah, like of... Vengeance is a really good movie that they wouldn't touch with a ten foot yeah. pole, and that was really good. Yeah. I think I think what yeah. I came out of last night realizing, and I felt the same way you did, I have never in my life felt as locked out of a movie experience as I have with this movie. Like, I, I did mm. not, not only did I not get it, but when I watched it, I thought there is no way this movie is going to win the Oscar. This movie is, is so hard to sit through. And then I, ta- you know, I talked to my mom and I thought I could never show this movie to my mom because she would never be able to get through it. But my mom was like, oh, I saw that movie. Yeah, I just love Michelle Yeoh. You know, so so I think I think for some people, like, they're just so caught up in this idea of it being an older Chinese woman, Malaysian woman, that they're willing to look mm-hmm. past all that stuff for this chance of this rare situation to have this kind of person be the focus of a movie. Because it just so mm-hmm. rarely happens. It just aren't movies about older, you know, Asian women going through some sort of emotional experience like it just doesn't happen so i think that they're they're excited about that they want to like it because they like her and they want it to do well um but but i i did feel last night that like i I did sort of sense that that's just it for the oscars like there's no more worth to them there's no more value to them because they've become so much just a symbol of you know what twitter activists want you know yeah and that's it like that's it like they have no value beyond that um, for me, anyway, and I... The, the long and short is that it's going to wind up almost certainly becoming a, a streaming, a cable show. Uh, ABC, if I were ABC, I would be thinking long and hard about continuing the association. They do have a contract with the Academy that goes into, what, 28, I think? Another five years, four years. Yeah, but well... I, um, it's a smaller and smaller thing that matters less and less to most people. Is we've both acknowledged some years ago, it's becoming more and more like the Tony Awards, and that's very much of an insular, uh, you know, uh, elite Broadway community that the public has no investment in or really excitement about, but they feel excited within their little community, and that's basically what we're watching, and and they're so caught up in their own mythology and their own religion, their own cult-like concepts of what what matters to them, that uh, it's just. Uh, it's shattering. It's shattering that the, the religion that I lived by, the, the spiritual religion of loving cinema, is, uh, has basically been thrown on a bonfire. And it's, and it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it's alive within me, personally. And I, there's the films that I'll be seeing in Cannes and what I think we're going to be probably 
suitably enthralled by when Telluride comes around in a few months. There's that whole thing. No. But the, it's just such no, a. I mean, come on! Like it's it's just such a massive generational shift we're talking about here. Like the way that we feel about movies, like God, look look at the sight and sound poll, Jeff. Look at that poll. Look at what they did. Look at how they changed it by putting that movie at the top. It's like they basically said we don't care anymore about anything other than moving the needle. And so when they see a yeah. movie like this, for them that account that equates with good they equate mm -hmm. quality with ideological aspirational uh compliance like they don't they don't see movies the way we did where you know we look at the writing of it and the drama of it the characters of it like they, they look at it in terms of what does it say how does it move the industry forward how does it make change how does it help us mm -hmm. feel um like we matter like our our community matters like our religion matters all that stuff defines what makes a movie good. That's why this movie, they could forgive it all its flaws because its central message is so important to them. Um, but all of that said, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't hate the, the winners because I didn't feel like a, a lot of people do because of, you know, they're so happy to win. You know, like Kihi Kwan and Jamie Lee Curtis and Michelle Yeoh and Brendan Fraser are all just ecstatic to win Oscars. And so it's hard to to deny that if someone's that happy about it. That's so great. You know, good for them that they won it. It's it's their moment. It's their experience. It's It belongs to them, not to us. I completely um, felt that. And I actually was was happy for them. And I, it was kind of a special moment to, to see all this come together. But I, uh, but again, no one seems to be contemplating what it's like to actually watch these films and whether they actually work on their own dramatic terms. Right. Um, I'm, I'm just very, very. Uh, well, let me let me. Uh, <laughs> I know, but but let me let me try to leave this on a good note, and then we'll hang up. Which is okay. that you know I don't know if we talked about this. I know I keep repeating stuff because I can't remember who I told whatever story to on a podcast or in person but basically what we're living through is is a pendulum shift right so what's about to there's this guy who wrote this book called pendulum how the past generations uh predict our future and and he says that he predicted all the way back in 2011 when he wrote this book two of them wrote this book yeah. that what's the title of the book one it, more time it's called uh it's impossible to read, so don't even go try and looking it up. I, I only look at it for its um for its uh its theory because it's a good theory, but it's it's not a very easy book to read. Anyway, they wrote it in 2011. It's called Pendulum: How Past Generations Shape Our Present and Predict Our Future. And in it, he wrote he could they accurately predicted exactly where we'd be in 2023. And they did that through using this pendulum theory that they have, where they take 80-year cycles. The last one of these that we lived through was 1943. And they divide them into two 40-year cycles. And one of those is the me generation, which is individualism, which would be the 60s and the 70s, leading into the, um, to the 80s. And then it turns into 40 years of collectivism, the we cycle. And at the end of that mm -hmm. cycle, they have a thing called the witch hunt phase, where 
in you know 1943 it was the mccarthy era was starting and that was a witch hunt phase in 43 that was a 1947-48 yeah but it was, was start close. the 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 high point of it was starting in around that time it's not exact pinpoint the date it's it's like around this era right okay. and so in ours you know they were able to say and i wish i could read you the passage but i can't because i can't access it right now but but there's a passage in it that they predicted all the way back in 2023 about um this moment of you know collectivism because when collectivism starts to go wrong collectivism mm -hmm. as in everybody gets a seat at the table barack obama's the president identity politics you know equity and all that that's all collectivism when it starts mm -hmm. to go wrong is when people become punitive and they they start accusing people of not being pure enough and they want them out of their utopia they start um policing their thoughts and they start you know purging them like they did during the the witch hunts and so they were able to pinpoint this exact moment in time. But the good news about that is that the pendulum, neither of us will probably be alive to see it, but the pendulum is going to switch back to individualism because it always does. And when that happens, things will change for movies and things will start to change again for art. But it's like 20 years down the road. So it's nothing we're going to live to see. Right. The book was written, you say, in the vicinity of 11. 2011? Yeah, 2011. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And he, or is it a woman or a man who it's wrote two, the book? It's two guys, two guys. Um, who two guys. Wrote, who wrote and their it. prediction was that individualism, um, getting past all the stuff that we're now, you know, enmeshed in, that's going to happen 20 years hence in the year 2043 or thereabouts, 2040. Yep. Something like that. Right around. Well, the next. Oh, great. Well, that's something to look forward no, exactly. to. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like, I don't know if that's good news or bad news, because I feel like I mm -hmm. wish that I was, you know, I feel lucky that I lived through the individualism phase because I loved it. You right. know, it was wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, the collectivism phase was nice for a while. It's just that his theory mm -hmm. in this book is that things start out really well, really good, and then humans take a good thing too far. And then once they start to yeah. really crap out, then, they, then the pendulum swings back in the other direction. And it just okay. kind of goes this way throughout history. Back and forth, the pendulum swings. So we are due for another pendulum swings. I mean, you can feel it, right? I can, anyway. Yeah. Um, I can feel people yeah. getting sick of all this shit on the left, you know? I'm not saying it's going to swing right, but it is going to swing in a different ideological direction because it has to. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere else it can go, right? All right. Well, on that note, on that uh, note, so I'm very, very um, for doing, but I think that just to recap, um, you're various, you're very smart in assessing the the various currents and what we're what we've been experiencing for the last, particularly the last five or six years. But I, my fundamental point remains that there has been, and I'm not, I don't want to repeat myself, but just, there has been a very uh, nurturing and, uh, you know, kind of almost transcendent in some ways uh, uh, reflection of one's own journey on this planet and, this, and, and to have a, a, an artistic medium, um, a very, very profound and, and moving artistic medium called movies to kind of see and recognize that what Sasha Stone has been going through in her 20s or her teens or as a mom and what Jeffrey Wells has been going through, it, it has meaning and validity because it can take the common experiences that we've all had by way of 
you know, marriages or breakups or, you know, career or whatever, and, and make something meaningful in a, in a two hour or, you know, 110 minute format. And, and it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's, it's sermonizing, but it's also religion. It's also psychiatry or psychology. It's a very meaningful thing to have in one's life. And to have that reaching in, that, that individual, individual uh, journey thing, and to, and to realize that Al Pacino's journey, say, in, uh, you know, the, 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 the detective film uh, Sea of Love, uh, was in some way meaningful to me because I had that kind of, you know, it really means a lot to have that kind of thing happen on movie screens. It's like it really literally is like going to church. And that's what I feel is dis- being dissipated so rapidly. Maybe it's over. Oh, no, is I, I, it is over. It's over. Everything has to come to an end sooner or later. I mean, look at those movies of the 60s and 70s. Now flip back 20 years before that. And 20 years before that, and look at how different movies were, how different people were, how different they changed. And that's yeah. what we're talking about. We're talking about that kind of dramatic change. We're talking about the change between Casablanca and The Godfather. Like, wow, what mm-hmm. a change in movies, right? Yeah. Two really great films, yeah. but totally mm-hmm. different aesthetics. And, and look mm-hmm. at Hitchcock movies <clears throat> versus, you know... Yeah. All right. Catch you later. All right. Be All well. Right. Take Bye. care.